I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hashtag history episode 28. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And I am so excited for this week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a topic I have been dying to cover since the very beginning. And here we are finally covering it. For anyone that cannot read or just adores us so completely that you downloaded the episode without reading the title, we have all heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. And this week, we are going to be telling the dark sad, twisted, horrible story that is the origins of that phrase. I don't think you had quite enough descriptive words Was there. that not enough? No, definitely it, not. It was like the further and further I got into researching this one, the more depressed I got. Cool. So, yeah. Really great. Here we go, guys. Okay. <laughs> if that wasn't a good enough sell for you, I don't know what will be. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have said that in the first like two minutes of the episode. <laughs> get ready to get depressed, guys. Great. Anyway, let me give you guys a snapshot of what we will be discussing this week. On November 18, 1978, 919 people of the Jonestown settlement in Guyana died in a mass suicide as the result of injecting cyanide. Over 300 of these victims were children. This mass suicide was orchestrated by psychopath occult leader Jim Jones, the leader and founder of the People's Temple. And now it is time for our cocktail, which I had sort of assumed would be a bright red Kool-Aid drink, but it's green. Yes. So I, well, without giving too much away, I wanted it to look green on purpose. I love that it's green. Yes. I'm not going to give more than that away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now, since this is a two-parter, this whole part will be diving into more of the backstory of Jonestown, I'm assuming. This is correct. Yep. Okay. Um, So with that being said, this week's cocktail might not make a ton of sense now. Okay. Right? If you're like totally unaware of this. Yeah. Um, But eventually it will make sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, So in short, and without revealing too much, Kool-Aid is involved. So... Today's cocktail is literally Kool-Aid and vodka. I love it so much. (laughs) The poor man's cocktail. Yes. So I have um, like an off-brand flavor Kool-Aid. I think it's Jolly Rancher, actually. Oh, okay. Um, So we aren't actually drinking name brand Kool-Aid, but... I thought you were actually going to... Well... No. I'll let you finish. But... Um, neither were the members of the temple. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Did I reveal too much? <laughs> so anyways, please join us in drinking this trashy cocktail. And I use air quotes for the word cocktail because it's literally Kool-Aid. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, if you so choose, simply pour some vodka or rum into some flavored water and get sloshed with us. Um, I did vodka and it's a green apple I'm really um, excited. Yeah, Cheers. green apples. Whatever this is, Kool Aid. My glass is so full. That's delicious. That yeah, tastes great. <laughs> She's gonna like. That's gonna be gone in five minutes. Yeah, you don't taste 
the alcohol at all. And I put like almost two shots. In I know. I was watching you like add more, mm-hmm. add more. It's because I couldn't taste it. A little bit more. I still can't taste it. Yeah. That's fantastic. It just tastes like a Jolly Rancher. Yeah. going to enjoy that. This oh. would be good um, frozen, like slushied. Mm. just saying okay. bachelorette ideas <laughs> <laughs> cheap cheap bachelorette party drinks yes okay so you guys this story begins and ends with jim jones so let's start this off with a picture um leah if you would please view the uploaded picture of jim jones and judge him to your heart's content opening picture and judging him so i've heard oh i've heard him described as like fat Elvis if he was on drugs which I think is a pretty apt description it's it's pretty apt and except um, he's not as attractive as Elvis it's just the way he styles himself correct it's the like and it's the in-between Elvis it's the like when Elvis you know what I'm saying though when Elvis was like in his prime and then Elvis started getting pudgy and everyone was like what is happening yeah it's it's that phase yeah Mm -hmm. um not the best phase for Elvis and not the best phase for Jim Jones, but I'm pretty sure this, this was his was whole life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean. And then the other, like, important thing to note is the shades. Oh, yeah. The shades. Which he wore pretty much 24-7. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that. Yeah. Okay. So, you can't really tell his ethnicity from that picture. Um, he was, like, Irish slash Welsh. That was hard to say. Irish. There's a lot of shushes. <laughs> Well, so they all ended with shishes. Yes. <laughs> he claimed to have some Cherokee in him, but that's not true. You know, actually, I feel like he kind of looks, I don't think D- he looks Irish or really? Welsh. I think like just when I heard he claims, he claimed to have some Cherokee in him. I just feel like that's such a thing. Like, yeah. Everyone no. does that. Knowing the whole backstory, it's like everyone does that. ridiculous. Yeah. So Jim Jones was born James Warren Jones on May 13th, 1931 in Crete, Indiana. He had a pretty rough upbringing in that he grew up super poor and his parents divorced when he was still pretty young. He clashed with his dad a lot, particularly in relation to race and religion. His dad was very traditional, old school, a.k.a. racist, and in the 1930s and 40s did not support his son having black friends. While Jones had the right frame of mind in this regard, and we see his support of the black community as a major theme throughout the course of his life, he was pretty effed up in just about every other regard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As a young child, he killed a cat, which Leah, you and I are newsflash to our listeners, both major true crime fans. And we know that- You don't F with cats. Don't F with cats. Oh my God. That is number one. Number two, though, like- Animal mutilation is one of the first indicators of a serial killer. Absolutely. Okay, so we can just check that box right off for Mr. Jim Jones there. (laughs) He was also obsessed with religion and death at a very young age. And for fun, he held funerals for animals like roadkill. And the cat he killed, probably. Potentially, I would assume so. Um, In his parents' backyard, he held these little funerals. Yeah, and didn't he, like, make his friends come to them? Yeah, so he didn't have friends. He didn't have friends, but there is like this whole s- <laughs> there is this whole story though about like the only people that would hang out with him were like the much younger kids, and it was because he would like beat them up if they didn't hang out with him. Yeah. So yeah, he would hold like 
funerals like during his recess breaks mm-hmm. and would make younger kids attend these funerals it's, it's creepy and weird mm-hmm. at the age of 18 jones married 22 year old marceline baldwin and then went on to attend college to get his degree in secondary education which he completed you know um a decade after starting oh okay yeah so <laughs> it maybe also goes without saying that the Jones marriage was not a particularly happy one. A lot of the contention had to do with Jones's revolutionary social ideas, AKA communist ideas. And that upset her parents. And that would upset her that he was upsetting her parents and so on. Jones began preaching at a Methodist church in the early 1950s before founding his own church in 1957, eventually known as the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. Full gospel, not half. <laughs> yeah, no halvesies here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Jones became incredibly popular for various reasons. For one, his church, from the get-go, was an interracial congregation, which was not the norm at the time. In addition to that, Jones made significant efforts to help those in his congregation that were struggling with things like cheating landlords, paying bills, and whatnot. Now, the other reason why Jones was so popular was because of his faith healings. And you guys, this is an audio platform, so you couldn't see that. Yeah, you couldn't see that Leah's rolling her eyes and I am doing little quotation Mm -hmm. bunny fingers around faith healings. While standing up at the pulpit, Jones could say to someone random in the congregation, Hey, Martha, I know that you have been struggling with a bad hip. Stand now and walk. Your hip has been healed. And Martha would be sitting in the audience like, how the hell did he know that? It must have been divine intervention. He must be a true prophet. But the real story is that Jones had eyes and ears all throughout his congregation that were working for him. He would scatter people throughout the church that would ear hustle and find out what people around them were saying. And then they would report back to Jones the ailments and concerns of his congregation. That's like really ridiculous. Yeah. But also, I mean, I I ear hustle well, all every, the time. I, one of my favorite things to do when I go out to dinner is like listen to the conversations next to me. Th- that is my favorite thing to do. Yes. That is my favorite. Or like even if I can't 100% hear, I'm still like they're breaking up right now. I can tell. That couple over there, they ain't happy. They ain't doing well. No. But no, the, these were people that maybe I would really like this job. <laughs> like I just sit anywhere random in the congregation and ear hustle, especially about like drama and gossip and poor martha's hip and stuff (laughs) so the whole thing was phony everything he did was phony um it's kind of long leah but i'm gonna have you read an excerpt this is from a newsweek article that really details all the effort jones would put into making his miracle healings look real sweet okay the quote healings were strictly carnival stuff jim would tell a person he had cancer then they would carry back a towel with bloody meat in it yeah jim would holler don't get too close to that cancer but i would look right at it and you know it was the same piece of meat every week (laughs) (laughs) i think they kept it refrigerated ew super gross yeah eventually jones refined the cancer act um commanding his top aides to find a better prop they devised a mixture of chicken entrails and their own blood they then left it um in a warm room until it congealed into a rancid and apparently convincing mess jones also allowed congregations to eavesdrops on his conversation with quote spirits um aides who hid in crawl spaces in the ceiling wait what 
people that were hiding in oh, okay. the crawl spaces of the ceiling so he could hear his congregation's conversations. Uh, okay, but he allowed it. Yes. Okay. Um, once he even healed himself of a mysterious gunshot wound from an unseen sniper, <laughs> and he displayed his bloody shirt in a glass case like an icon. The stunts were often orchestrated to suit the audiences. The elderly blacks who formed a majority of his followers usually witnessed old-fashioned tent revival-style cures, for example, and visiting radical celebrities might be treated to a with the soul of sainted labor leader joe hill yeah wow so to go back through some of that in case it's weird and confusing which i would assume it was yeah jones would literally get two people from his inner circle to pretend like one of them had cancer the one that did not you know did not have cancer would rush the one with cancer out of the room give him these chicken guts and then they would run back to the congregation claiming that the guy with cancer had coughed the cancer up aka chicken guts uh, for i know that lots of people talk about this because at this point it wouldn't have been considered a cult yet right it was just right. like this progressive kind of weird church you're right uh, who the f- flip is believing this that that's kind of what we're going to go into a bit because well if you weren't part of that inner circle that's more my question is like his inner circle knew yes because they were in on it and my assumption is well he's doing all this other good stuff so i'll i'll look past exactly the, the, the bullshit exactly and i think for the other people that um were not part of that inner circle that really believed I think it's similar to that. He was doing amazing things for them. He was really helping the black community. He supported them. He helped them with like, you know, their bills and, and their landlords, their racist landlords that were cheating them out of money. He was super involved in like those social aspects. And so they wanted to believe. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think people generally do. They, they want, want, they to, want to find something to belong and to believe in. Yeah. For sure. We're going to play an audio piece here of one of Jones's sermons provided by the Jonestown Institute. I want to make sure I credit who provided this information. Um, it is a website that has a bunch of the audio from because Jones would record pretty much everything. And so the Jonestown Institute website, they have uploaded all of this audio to their website and it's free. It's open. It's public domain. But they do ask that you credit them. So thank you, Jonestown Institute, um, for uploading that stuff and letting us use it. OK, so we're going to listen to it. And when you are listening to it, I want you to listen knowing that it's all bullshit. Spirit who he said the word would discern the thoughts god would discern the thoughts of the mind and know the intents of the heart you said once in your heart my child's daddy and i separated when my child was two years old yes and my hubby married twice after we separated yes he is dead now. Yes. His name was Hillary. Yes, yes, yes. He was born in the spring of the year. Yes. March. Yes. Your second husband is dead too. Yes. God Almighty. There's a lady you know that from British Honduras. Yes, I do. 
This woman has a son named Ronald. Yeah. The right hand. The right hand is in trouble. Tell her that the one that cares about our diseases is at Hoover and Alvarado. Yeah. The spirit. Just a moment. But more than anything, I'm, ta I'm talking about the problem you've been having in the chest. Right here in the chest area. Yes. It's been building up even here today. Yes, it has. But I have come. I have come to break all the bonds that hold you. Yes. To loose the heavy burdens. Yes. I have come to set the captive free. I have come to give you a new heart right now. Yes. Boom. 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 Now it's gone. Now it's gone. Now you don't have any heaviness, do you? The heaviness all gone now? Yes. You've got a new heart, child, so just rejoice. Praise God. Okay. So it is bullshit because not only did he know all of this information about her beforehand but she knew it was bullshit too this was an inside job this woman knew that jones was a phony you can hear it in her bland repetitive yes yes jones had many people that knew he was a phony and yet they went along with the act why a woman named Terry Buford O'Shea, who ended up fleeing from the People's Temple, explained. Leah, do you mind reading a little bit of what um, O'Shea had to say? Absolutely. O'Shea said he was very charismatic and attracted people who were feeling vulnerable or disenfranchised for whatever reason. Most of them were African-American, but there were also white people, Jewish people, people of Mexican descent. There were religious Christians and communists. If you wanted religion, Jim Jones could give it to you. If you wanted socialism, he could give it to you. If you were looking for a father figure, he'd be your father. He always honed in on what you needed and managed to bring you in emotionally. I always looked at the temple as a utopian community that used religion to get where we were wanting to go. Other people took it as Christ's way. There's a passage in the Bible where Jesus tells people to leave their families and follow him. Jim quoted that quite a lot. He said he was Gandhi, Buddha, Lenin. He said he was the coming back of anybody you'd ever want to come back, and we believed him. Jones was known to study the writings of Adolf Hitler, in particular his means of manipulating people. And Jones became pretty damn good at it. He became so good at manipulating people that he was even able to manipulate and convince powerful figures such as the San Francisco mayor, the Los Angeles mayor, the governor of California, Jerry Brown the first time around, and more. These people all endorsed and supported Jones and what he was doing in the People's Temple. Jones had another way of making money for his temple that... I just had to throw this in here because it is so freaking crazy. Um, I literally don't know what to make of it. Uh, <laughs> like, imagine, like, the craziest thing, a way to make money, uh -huh. and you still won't think of it. I I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. Um, so, Jones, he, uh, he, he imported monkeys, and he sold them door to door for $29 each to people in order to make money. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. And I, I just like, I don't know what to say about that. Like people are actually buying monkeys from someone that showed up at their door and sold it to them. They're like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. I've been needing a monkey. I need someone to do the dishes or what. I don't know what you need a monkey for. Also, where are these monkeys now? Still in Indiana? Like decades later? No, they're probably dead. <laughs> I just, I have so many questions about this whole thing. Like I would love to read like if someone did a thesis statement or like did their whole like dissertation on like the lineage of the monkeys in Indiana. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I would read it. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. What, who buys monkeys for $29 that someone brought to your doorstep? Would would if if someone came to your doorstep right now and said, "I'm selling spider monkeys." Are you interested? Probably not. I don't think that's legal. But are they cute? <laughs> how cute are they and do they get along with cats <laughs> are they are they house trained <laughs> all i can think of is did you ever watch that one episode of oprah where the lady had granted monkeys and apes are not the same thing i'm pretty sure it was an ape um that she had as like a pet no and it actually ripped her face <gasps> off like ripped the I face off. I do remember hearing something about an ape ripping someone's face off. I just didn't realize it was a woman that just had it as a pet. Yeah, no, she she's like, it's my best friend. And then her best friend ripped her face off. So. Oh my god. <laughs> so I'm going to pass. Um, going to pass can, on the monkeys? Yeah, you can have one though if you mm, want. I'm o- I think I'm okay. <laughs> Imagine if you had one during this whole podcast. It's like <laughs> in the background the whole time. No, to be honest, the answer to most of the questions I was asking, house trained, get along with cats is probably no. So that would determine. <laughs> that would determine it for me. By this point, Jones had moved his congregation to good old California, and I say that because for any of our newer listeners, that's where Leah and I are from. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Becoming increasingly paranoid, Jones moved his congregation here as he believed this was one of the few locations where his temple would be safe if there was a nuclear bombing. Of course, makes perfect sense. Yep, yep all this makes sense, yeah. including the spider monkeys. Uh-huh. And his following continued to grow. In an article published in 1977 by the New West Magazine, the approximate number of People's Temple members was 20,000. Which is mind, like, it's mind-boggling. It I, is. First of all, I, well... There's not a first of all. It's just literally just one statement. How were there 20,000 human beings that bought into the bullshit? You know what I wonder? Um, how many people go to Joel Olstein's church in Texas? I have no idea. I'm interested. I'm going to Google this right now. Not that I'm saying that Joel Olstein is a cult, although I know some people think so. Um, for those that don't know, he runs um, a church in Texas. I am going to Google right now, like, the attendance size of his church because his church is massive. Let's see. It is, I'm reading this right off of Google. It's the Lakewood church um, that Joel Olstein is the pastor of. It is one of the largest congregations in the United States, averaging about 52,000 attendees per week. How do they fit that many people in a building? I have to, I'll show you. This building is humongous. Can you see that? It's literally an arena. It, and that's like Sunday morning church. Anyway, again, not saying that's a cult, but I'm just saying that there is a church in Texas that 52,000 people show up to every single Sunday. It, it, like, what are you getting out of that? Out of 
going to a church with 50,000 other people. Where he will never know your name or your face. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. So it's right around this time, though, that Jones started to receive some pretty negative attention. Mm. According to several sources, Jones was forcing members of his congregation to give hefty chunks of their income to him. There were also people claiming that they had to give up custody of their children to Jones. Mm -hmm. But before I tell that crazy ass story, let's talk about Jim Jones's own children. Jones liked to refer to his own family as a rainbow family because of the different ethnicities it represented. In total, Jones and his wife, Marceline, would end up adopting three Korean American children, an American Indian child, an African American child, and then they also had a biological white child. Them adopting an African-American child was a really big deal because it made them the first Caucasian couple in Indiana to do so. They named him Jim Jones Jr. And I watched this really powerful documentary over the weekend um, about the whole Jonestown massacre. And there's a lot of footage of Jim Jones Jr. talking about his dad now, you know, looking back on it. And he basically says, I was never his son. I was always his adopted son. That's how he introduced me. I was his adopted son. I watched that documentary Did you? too. It's sad. Was it the one on Amazon or it's, something? Hulu? It's Yes, it's on Hulu. Did you watch it recently? Yeah, like uh, maybe a month ago. Oh, okay. I was going to say I watched it on Saturday. So. Oh, no, like, yeah, I think it was a month ago probably. Okay, so now back to that crazy custody story. In 1970, a man by the name of Timothy Stowen joined the People's Temple. Now, Stowen was an attorney and a pretty big attorney, actually. He graduated from Stanford Law and became a deputy district attorney in California. That was all before, in 1970, Stowen became hooked by Jim Jones and the People's Temple and uprooted his life to begin attending the services and providing legal services to its followers. Leah is shaking her head. <laughs> Just someone who's that educated. Why? Yeah. I watched... Um, I watched what is a wild wild country did you watch that on netflix it is about it is about um the bogwan the whole like indian cult where everyone wears like red and burgundy and everything and one of the guys that uh he's one of the people that does like the most narrating or you know one of the people they like interview the most in this whole series super educated attorney still to this day like believes in the whole cult and everything it's like really disturbing because yeah it's really disturbing when like super educated people get swayed by this kind of stuff yes because it's scary i mean because it's like well if someone that educated that intelligent uh, yeah because i think a lot of this we can write off as like okay they're people who aren't smart or yeah. they're easily duped yeah i don't p- categorize myself as either of those things right. So I wouldn't be swayed so by I, it. No right. way. Exactly. Yeah. It's scary. It is scary. Um, so yeah. So he was district attorney in California. Um, he ends up joining the people's cult. The people's cult. The people's oh, cult. The people's <laughs> temple, guys. That was a Freudian, Freudian slip sure right there. <laughs> the people's cult. <sighs> <laughs> the same year, Stowen married a woman named Grace, and they had a son just two years later on January 25th, 1972. It was only two weeks after their son's birth that Jones forced Stowen to do something outrageous. He forced him to sign an affidavit saying that his son, John Victor Stowen, was not his son, but was in fact the love child of his wife, Grace, and Jim Jones himself. By signing this affidavit, the Stowens essentially gave up custody of their child to Jones and to the People's Temple. It didn't take long for Grace to get fed up with the church. 
She witnessed some really horrific things within the community, many of which were directed at her, having allowed her son to be given up to the church and to be raised communally. Communally? Why was that hard to say? I don't know. (laughs) Communally and outside of her control, she was viewed as a a bad mother. (laughs) And Jones seized every opportunity to demonstrate that in front of the community. Which is so funny. It's He's literally like blackmailing her for what he made her do yes yep uh-huh or calling her a bad mother for something that she that he forced her to do this is correct okay cool. as a form of blackmail yeah that's a, everything he did was strategic and methodical which is so scary yes grace even told a story um, about a time that jones chased her around with a gun and told her to watch out because he would kill her in her sleep uh she and another community member, not her husband, though, FYI, because FYI, her husband was still all in with the church. Her and this other community member, they defected from the church and pretty much immediately after leaving the church, she began the fight for custody of her child. About a year or so later, Stowen, her husband, he was finally ready to join alongside her in leaving the church and fighting to get their son back. This is a really, really, really sad part of the story. And one that we will not get to until part two. So FYI, guys, there's actually a part two to this episode because there was just so much information. But just know that this case here that we're talking about, about the Stoans and the custody battle that they fought, was not an isolated event. There were several cases of parents being torn away from their children. Now to jump back to that affidavit and kind of what we were just talking about, this was not uncommon in the People's Temple. Jones oftentimes had members of the congregation sign their names on blank pieces of paper that he would later write horrific allegations on, such as Bob saying he was molesting his own daughter or Judy saying she'd been sleeping around with Stephanie's husband. And with their names signed there at the bottom of these documents, he would use them as blackmail to keep people in check, keep them in line and to keep them within the community. I have to assume that everybody was just so scared of, of, these things getting out these fake yeah. things getting out that they never talk to each other about it but They're, like i mean you're you're all part of a church you're all getting blackmailed yeah you would think there would be some sort of someone like, would mention it to someone like, else hey, i got blackmailed by jim yesterday have you ever been blackmailed yeah i got blackmailed by him last week yeah i i don't know when we talk like out of all the things that fascinate me like, obviously, love history, love true crime stuff. Like, cult stuff is sometimes, like, the most fascinating it's to me. It's so because intriguing. just understanding that mindset and not understanding that mindset. Yes. Like, when we see it here, like, this is crazy. Yeah. We know this is crazy. We feel like I would never get swayed by this. But it obviously, it's this isn't as an isolated case. Like, right. There are thousands of cults worldwide. There are historically so many cults just like this or or very similar to this where that make no sense to most people but there's a small population of people that they appeal to and maybe when you're inside it not maybe when you are truthfully inside it Mm -hmm. you're so inside it that this all this is just the way the world operates yeah it's right around this time that jones's paranoia hits an all-time high Between the legal custody battles, new allegations that he was diverting the wages of his congregation and putting them in his own pocket. 
allegations that he was sending the collection tray around again and again until he got the money he wanted. That one is really funny to me because, again, we talked about this in, I believe, last week's episode that you and I grew up in church. Like, when they pass, like, the offering tray around, like, several times, at least in the churches I grew up in, like, if you don't give money, you don't give money. And yeah. it is what it is. Like, you just pass the tray along. Mm-hmm. No one's... Maybe someone is, like, silently judging you. But nobody but, like, would no ever... No one says anything, and the usher definitely is like, nope, no money today. Okay, cool. Moving yeah. on to the next row. Well, the row. whole point is you give what you can. Yes. And in Jones's church... No, you when gave it, everything. Y- you gave everything. And when the tray would get back up to him, and if he was unsatisfied with the amount, he would send it back around again. It's crazy. It is crazy. So... Amongst all of these things and Jones's paranoia being at that all-time high, it was time for him to get the hell out of Dodge. With his paranoia as extreme as it was at this time, he started looking outside the United States. He started looking for somewhere that he could put down roots and build his own land free from the watchful eye of the American government. He found 3,800 acres of land in the middle of the jungle in a place called Guyana a place that nobody wanted because the soil couldn't produce crops. The nearest water supply was approximately seven miles away and its proximity to the Venezuela border made it an entirely undesirable location. And yet this is where Jones began to plant his roots. And this was where he would migrate nearly a thousand of his followers in 1977, just to kill nearly all of them only in a year later. But that is where we will pick up on next week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We cannot wait to finish off this story next week. And to tell you about our super special season finale. We will tell you guys all about that next week. Yeah, very exciting so, and nerve-wracking. Both of the things. <sighs> we will post the pictures, um, just that one picture of Jim Jones from this episode to our Instagram. And then all of the sources that were used to put this episode together can be found on our website. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor. Subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use. Share it with a friend. Give us a rate and review. I tried to change it like a little bit. Did you notice like a little bit of a different rhythm? Yeah, just slightly. Slight. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Thank you guys. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> She's doing the Britney Spears like finger pressing on the ear. mic in the ear. Bye guys. Just bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. This is hashtag history episode twenty eight. Twenty eight? Did you hear that? <laughs> 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 but Jome Jome. Jim. So we're going to play a transcript here, or a transcript. How do you play a transcript? A transcript is not something you can play. Let's do that again. <laughs> Look, this is, whoops, that's not a picture of it. That is a picture of his very close up face. Oh, I thought um, it was going to be a picture of something else. No. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, sorry, I was reading a uh, um, text message about how my boss is bringing in donuts tomorrow. So, my life. So, because I can't eat them. Yeah, just bring some celery.
Just be, yeah. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> in 1970, oh, and I meant to look this up. Wouldn't you pronounce that guy's last name Stowen? Yeah, for but sure. But then I've heard, I heard someone else call him Stone. Well, they're dumb. Okay. And its proximity to the Venezuela, Ven, Ven, Venezuela. Holy cow. Let's do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 